Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Very nice. Montrose Church, how are you? You doing okay? Are you excited? I'm excited. That's why there's so much feedback right now. Just making sure everybody's awake before we go into the sermon. We good? All right, we're just going to go for it. Um, I'm excited to be here with you. Maybe we'll just have this the whole time. It'll be like this little soundtrack, you know? Hello? Okay. There we go. Let's go. Yes. Yes. Here we are. All right. Um, I'm so excited to be with you all, Montrose Church. This is uh, sermon number four of our Attitude Matters series. And so uh, you can be praying for Pastor Dave and Cindy. They're enjoying some time of rest with some other pastors. And so um, thinking and praying for him this morning. But I'm really excited to be giving you uh, part four of this series. And t- the title for this morning's message is called A New Identity. A New Identity. And my prayer throughout this uh, series is that we would have a new attitude. We would have a fresh attitude as we continue in this 2022 year. And it's crazy that January is almost, almost already gone, huh? Um, but my hope is that we have good attitudes as we continue in this new year. I'm going to begin with the scripture this morning, Galatians 2, 15 through 21. If you have a Bible, if you have your phone, or if you, uh, if you don't, it's all good because we'll have it on the screens. Galatians 2, 15 through 21, we've been in the book of Galatians, um, a really interesting book that Paul writes to the churches at Galatia. So we'll start with verse 15 here of chapter 2. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put on our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So that's where we'll begin um, this morning. Was anybody a rule breaker when they were a little kid? (laughs) Who broke rules? It's okay, it's a safe place. It's a safe place, right? Um, I was a rule breaker. I was. Now, all real little kids, you know, babies and such, they're rule breakers, right, because they're trying to figure it out, and they have a good excuse and such. But you kind of get to that age where you start to know what's right and wrong, and you find yourself in one of two camps. You're either a rule follower or a rule breaker. 
and I was a rule breaker. I can remember um, in fourth and fifth grade, I would always find myself outside the classroom and the teacher getting on me for the rules I had broken. Colton, you can't break your pencil and yell darn it. Colton, you can't headbutt other kids. Colton, you can't have your brother do all your math homework. And on and on, and I was a rule breaker. And it's funny because I'll uh, reconnect with one of my old elementary teachers or something, or my mom will, will meet up with them, and they'll find out I'm a pastor, and they're like, really? <laughs> no way! I would have never expected that. And I'm like, I know, God's grace is amazing, isn't it? So um, for parents out there, there's hope for your rule-breaking kids, all right? There's hope for them. The whole book of Galatians is Paul arguing with the churches in Galatia and with Peter about rules, about laws, about the system. And I'm going to backtrack a little bit here to give us some context for our text this morning. And you've heard some of this from Pastor Dave in the, in the last few weeks. But historically, the covenant people of God were focused in one ethnic group, Israel. And they were set apart. They were a called people to be set apart for God's specific purposes in the world. And they did this by certain rules and laws, right? The Torah. Stuff like circumcision, eating kosher, observing the Sabbath. They had a very tightness system of how to follow God. And as we know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it explodes. It begins to reach all kinds of people from all different backgrounds, right? The Gentiles. And the problem was, is the Jewish Christians thought that if these Gentiles were going to start follow God, they needed to adhere to the Jewish rules and system. So there's Jewish Christians in these Galatian churches undermining Paul, demanding that these new Gentile Christians follow the rules, the tight-knit system. And Paul writes this letter to clear some things up about these false claims. So in the first chapter of Galatians, he says, hey, you guys have begun to believe a different gospel. You begin to embrace a different gospel, a gospel of works and laws and the system, but that's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. It's not. And Paul knew that rules and systems played a role. They were valuable, but it had become a stumbling block for these new Gentile Christians. So Paul is clear. He says it's not about the rules and systems. It's about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Christ came to fulfill the law, not beat you down with it. So the first uh, question for all of us this morning is, how closely do we hold our rules and systems? How closely do we hold our rules and systems? Because we have a culture of rules and systems, don't we? That's why little fourth grade Colt had such a hard time. He broke rules. <laughs> and um, so we have to know is, is how closely do we hold our rules and systems? Are rules and systems important? Yes, they play a role. But they cannot save us. And if we're not careful, church, we will, and maybe we don't say this out, out loud, right, but we'll slowly begin to think, maybe these rules and systems that I follow will begin to save me. To some degree, it'll save me. Our personal rules for our lives will not save us. Our family rules and systems will not save us. Our worldly systems, whatever they may be, will not save us. Our political systems will not save us. And every four years, we kind of think they will. All right, we're going to get a new guy or gal in there. We're going to get some new people surrounding them. All right, we're going to flip the script. We're going to have a new system, and we are going to be saved. Really? It won't save us. And Paul is trying to help these Galatian churches realize this. And again, hear me clearly. I'm not saying these things don't matter, right? 
We can stand for some things. We can push some things, absolutely. But we have to be careful about how closely we hold them to our heart. Do we hold them closer than Jesus to our heart? We have to check ourselves on that. And Paul is writing from a place um, of a guy who knows about rules and systems. He does. In Philippians 3, 4, 3, I'm going to paraphrase this. But he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I followed every law. He's basically saying, I was as Jewish as you could get. I am all about the rules and the systems. But then I found Jesus, or really he found me, right, on the Damascus road, and everything changed. Everything changed. And then he says at the end of Philippians 3, 4, 3, 8, now I count it all as trash. All that stuff that I thought that following God was about, I count it all as garbage compared to knowing Jesus and the one who truly saves. So we can fight for rules and systems and push those things, church, but we have to be careful about letting it get too far. How closely do we hold them to our heart? Because Paul is trying to help the Galatian churches and say, hey, you've missed the mark. You've let the rules and systems become too much. It's about Jesus. So point number one for us, not by works. Not by works. Verse 16 of Galatians 2, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So as we've talked about, Paul is writing to a people who are all about systems and laws um, and rules, but they're also about works because works plays in with all that, right? They're about performing and checking off the boxes. And hear me, church, work is important. You agree with that? Your work is important. Your work matters to God. Did you know that? It does. God cares about your work. He cares about your career. He cares about your work with your family, your work with your friends, your volunteer work. God cares about those things. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. Our work matters. But, as Paul makes clear, we can't be justified by those works. Paul says it's only by faith. And he says something similar in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul is doubling down here. He's saying right away, no works do not justify you. But at the end, what does he say? He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So he wants us to hold the tension here. Are works valuable? Do they play a role? Are they important? Yes, God has good works for you to do church, but they won't save us. They won't save us. So my question out of this is, does your work define who you are? Does our work in any capacity begin to define who we are? And it's hard in our culture because as soon as you meet someone, you ask them their name, and then what do you say? Hey, what do you do for work? Right away, where's your identity at? And so it's easy to get wrapped up in that. Does, does your work define who we are? And in our culture, our fast world, our busy world, where we need money, we need to live, we need to support our loved ones, all those kind of things, work can be consuming, it can. And it's easy for work to reach an unhealthy place in our lives. I talk to young people um, at our church and, and kind of in different areas a lot, and they are consumed with the idea of what they will do for their career, their work, right? Because they want to make enough money to live. They want to do something fulfilling, and I don't blame them, right? And so they're thinking about this and that, and right, that's why so many college students change their majors like three to four times now. 
because they want to get it right. And so work becomes this consuming idea. It becomes something that we, if we're not careful, we place our identity in. And maybe it's not just our careers, right, but maybe it's our volunteer work. Volunteer work is very important. We all know this, right? We want you to volunteer at Montrose Church and with our partners. We have a lot of great partners that need volunteers, and those things are amazing things. But they can't save us. They can't. They can't justify us, and that's what Paul is trying to get across to these Galatian churches. Justify means to make right, to make right. And church, some of us think, right, if we're not careful, we begin to think, hey, if we get to this point in my career, if we bump the salary, if we do this, if we do that, we will be made right. And Paul is clear, no, that's not it. It's always about Jesus, and you were already justified when Christ died on the cross for you, and now you just got to put your faith in him because you already are justified. Your work can never justify you. N.T. Wright says this about Paul's words, the only badge of membership in the rescued, forgiven family of Christ is faith. Faith in Christ and not in our works. That's why we are crucified with Christ. Point number two, crucified with Christ. Verses 19 to 20, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul is writing from a place of where he thought living for God was all about laws. It was all about rules. It was all about the system. But now he knows it's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection. And now he can say, I died to the law. I died to the law. I've been crucified with Christ. He is the one who is living in me. So at the heart of Paul's writing, church, we can't miss this. At the heart of Paul's writing, he is saying, when people trust in Jesus, what's true of Christ becomes true of us. So Christ's life, death, and erection become ours in some mysterious and beautiful way. Christ lives in us. He justifies and saves us, and then he empowers us to go be his hands and feet in a broken world. It's always about Jesus, church. It's always been about Jesus. It's still about Jesus, and it'll never stop being about Jesus. Our identity is in the crucified and resurrected Savior. It's not in works. It's not in anything else. It's in the crucified and fear and death conquering Messiah. We have a new identity. We do. And for Paul, that changed everything. It gave him true freedom. He felt the weight of the rules and the laws and the systems, but then Jesus found him and he felt true freedom. And so Paul is inviting the Galatian churches, embrace the true gospel that brings freedom. Christ crucified and resurrected, the true gospel. It will give you a new identity. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. He is the one who was stamped on my heart and tattooed on my soul. It's the crucified and risen Savior. Church, is that true for us? Is that true for you? Do I need to remind you of your identity in Jesus this morning? As we continue in this 2022 year, where are we placing our identity? Where is the world trying to push in and take over our identity when we have to have it founded in Jesus, right? It has to be. Um, so the question out of that is, who, who's living? Who's living? 
Is it us? Is it just us? Is it just me? Is it just you? Or is it Christ living within us? And when we think about that little question, it can be convicting quick, right? I know that when I'm on the 210, it's not really Christ within me. It's not. It's not. And I know how some of y'all drive, okay? I know. Pastor Dave gave a little, uh, little story about driving around in Montrose a couple weeks ago. You remember that? Is it Christ within us? Right? Is it Christ within us every day? I don't know. But if, here's what I want to challenge us on is we have to step back from our busy lives, our checking off the tasks of the day, and reflect, hey, is it Christ within me? Do my words and actions and thoughts reflect Jesus? Do they? Because they should. And we have to step back sometimes and reflect on those things. Because we want to be better Jesus followers. We want to lean in what Christ has for us, and that's where true freedom is found. And some of us live at this place where we live independently of God, and we're going 100 miles an hour, and then it's all, all of a sudden you're like, hey, God, I need you to bless every decision that I'm making right now. I'm just going for it. I need you to bless everything that I'm doing. And that's not what Paul's saying, right? That's the cherry on the top of the Sunday or the milkshake type of Jesus. And that's not what he's talking about. We need to give him the reins of our life because that's when true freedom um, will be found. And it's freeing to have Christ within me and lean on that because we can begin to get to a place where we say, hey, I shouldn't have that much patience. I shouldn't have this much patience, but it's Christ within me. I shouldn't be maybe forgiven these people, but it's Christ within me. I shouldn't be this hopeful. My life is crazy, but it's Christ within me. Can we get to that place? We have to embrace the amazing, transformative, and beautiful reality that Christ is within you. He's within us, and his presence is all around us in every circumstance. Church, and that brings us freedom. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Point number three, don't set aside grace. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul is trying to drill this into a people who have gone astray. They've missed the true gospel. It's not about works. It's not about laws. It's not about the tight-knit system that you guys have. No, it's about grace. It's about grace. And Pastor Dave's been reminding of that. Of, of, he's reminding of this. Of the, woo! He's been reminding us of that the last few weeks um, with the Matthew seven twelve text. So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. It's not by works, rules, or systems. We need to treat people the way we want to be treated. Christ, and this is really interesting in verse 21, he says, Christ wouldn't have had to die if we could do it by our own strength. If we could muster it up, like if we could muster up the strength and, the, and live a perfect life, right, check off all the boxes, Christ wouldn't have had to die, but that's not what happened. Christ did die, and he lavishes his grace on us. So church, we can't set aside grace. How's your grace meter doing this morning? How's your grace tank? How are you doing with letting grace flow out of you this morning, church? How are you doing with that? And I think there's kind of two groups of people in here. Some of us give a lot of grace to um, ourselves and not a lot of grace to others. And some of us in this room give a lot of grace to others but not ourselves. 
And so let me say something to the group of people who struggle with giving grace to themselves this morning. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. Give yourself grace. Why? Because God gives you grace. And you're, you're already enough. You're valuable. Ephesians 2, you're a masterpiece, right? You're not some average painting. You're a masterpiece. And so give yourself some grace. Don't be so hard on yourself. For those people, when you go out of this place and somebody maybe asks you, hey, how, how was the sermon? You know, what, the, what, did, what did Colton say? You can say, oh, he's talking about Christ crucified and it's not by works and all those things. But also, he just told me not to be so hard on myself. He told me to give myself some grace because that's what I want for God's people. We need to give ourselves grace. And out of that, grace flows to other people, right? We can't hold grace within. We have to let it flow out of us. I love football. Um, I don't love football as much as baseball, but I do love football. And I know you, Gabby was talking about some games later today, right? Uh, the NFC and AFC championship are later today. And let me tell you the worst thing that can happen in football, okay? The worst thing is your team is on offense. And maybe you're watching at home or you're in the stadium or whatever, and, and your team is on offense, and they make this amazing play. It's like this long touchdown pass or this amazing touchdown run, and your player is going into the end zone, right, and everyone is cheering. They're going crazy. And maybe you're at home and you're the crazy fan, right? We got a couple of those. I don't know if Scott's here, but he's that guy, you know, just like yelling, right, at the screen. Yes, yes, my guy is going to the end zone, he's scoring. Or maybe you're in the stadium and it's just electric and people are going crazy. Ah, yes, let's go. As their person goes into the touchdown. But then if you're at home, this little yellow thing pops up on the bottom of the screen. And it says flag, right? And if you're in the stadium, you see the flag and you're like, oh no. And then the referee goes, picks up his flag, turns on his mic and says, holding on the offense, right? 10-yard penalty. And then the whole play is negated. It's as if it never happened. And all the fans are just like, oh, what? They're so broken, right? Sad, angry. What could have been? That was such an amazing play. What could have been? Maybe we would have, you know, scored that touchdown and ended up winning the game, but instead we lost. What could have been if we didn't have that holding penalty? And I think that helps us with grace, church. Because what could have been if we don't hold grace within? What could be if we don't hold grace within? What could have been for the pandemic if we led with grace and didn't hold it within? What could have been for our different relationships that are now fractured because of various things if we didn't hold grace within? And you have circumstances and scenarios in your life that you can think of maybe. What could have been if we would have led with grace or somebody else would have led with grace and didn't hold it within? What could have been? And a few questions out of that. Just when you reflect here, has the church been about works more than grace? Has the church been about rules more than grace? Has the church been about judgment more than grace? And maybe all of us to some level and some time, right, we can say, yeah, that was maybe true. That was maybe true. What could have been? And, and some of you in here know people that, that heard about Jesus and they heard about his amazing grace. And then they came to a church, and, and maybe not this church, hopefully not, but they came to a church and they saw something that was not the amazing grace of Jesus that they heard about. So maybe they never came back. What could have been? What could be for God's people if we lead with grace and don't hold it within? Um, we can't hold grace 
Don't set aside grace, Paul says. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, says, All of us in the church need grace-healed eyes to see the potential in others for the same grace that God has so lavishly bestowed on us. And I love this, I love this quote, church, because it gives us this amazing imagery of grace-healed eyes, right? And we immediately think of the scripture where Jesus lays hands on the blind man and he is given vision, right? His eyes are healed and he's able to see. But Yancey says, we need grace-healed eyes, right? To realize the amazing grace that God has bestowed on us. Were we worthy? Absolutely not. But did he give it to us anyways? Yes, he did. So we realize that amazing grace and then we live a life with grace-healed eyes. We see the capacity in others for something that maybe they don't even realize in themselves, right? But God can use them in amazing ways. So we have to give them grace. We have to give it away. We have to see people with healed eyes. We have to realize God's overwhelming grace for us and then live with grace healed eyes. That's my prayer for us, church. We need to be able to see the crucified and risen Savior and let that be the lens that we look at other people with all kinds of different people, right? the people we struggle with, the people that we're close to, even our enemies, right? Grace-healed eyes. Because grace, as Paul reminds us, is so much stronger, so much bigger than all the works and the rules and the systems. So what if God's people lived with grace-healed eyes? Um, I want to invite the band back up. And church, just to recap here real quick, rules and systems, how closely do we hold them? How closely do you hold them? They can't save us. They can't save us, right? And it's not like those things aren't important. They are, but they can't save us. Our personal rules, other kinds of systems, they can't save us. Works can't save us, right? Work matters, absolutely, your work matters but it can't save us. Your career matters, the work you do with your family, the volunteer work, it all matters to God, but it can't save us. So we have to hold the tension, church. And then my prayer out of that is that we live with grace-healed eyes as the people of God who go from this place transformed by God's grace and then we just give it away. Because what could be, what could be? I'm gonna pray for us and then the band will play one song and then we'll get out of here. Gracious God, thank you so much for uh, just this quick sermon about your grace, God. And Paul dealing with these Galatian churches who are struggling with some things and rules and systems and laws. And I pray that we would just hear that message this morning. Where is our identity this morning? Is it with you, Jesus? Is it Christ within me? I hope it is. And I challenge us, God, to find that, to be a people who can lean into Christ crucified and find true freedom in that. God, thank you for being a God who gives us grace, grace who, who bestows it upon us even when we don't deserve it. But will we be a church that doesn't hold that within but gives it away? Because what could be if God's people lived with grace-healed eyes? Things would change. Our families, the people we come into contact with, things would change for the better. And we know that you can empower us and you are with us to do those things, God. And so we ask of you that you would empower us to go from this place and be your people. Wherever we go, 
would be, be a people of grace. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for this time. Amen, amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.